This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Hello and welcome to Alive with Bhavna. Thank you for listening to today's show where I will be discussing swimology. For those new to the show, I am Bhavna Nagar. I've worked as a clinical psychologist for the past 20 years, both in New Zealand and in South Africa, where I come from. I came to New Zealand 14 years ago. My business is called Alive Psychology. Although my mindfulness practice started in South Africa, it grew and matured into the self-love practice here in New Zealand. This resulted in me writing a book, Self-Love, The First Step. The book incorporates psychological insights as well as mindfulness practice, so you get the best of both worlds. What is swimology? When I first attended a mindfulness retreat, um, my first experience of mindfulness was uh, Goenka's Vipassana retreat. And in there, he said the story about swimology. So, that's just a story. Don't look for facts or reality in it. And the story goes, there was this wise professor on a ship. And every day he gave a talk on a topic. And this illiterate sailor really held this professor in high esteem. And one day, the professor came to the sailor and said, tell me, have you studied geology? And the guy goes, no, sir, I'm never studied anything. What is geology? He says, geology is the study of earth. You have wasted a quarter of your life if you don't know anything about the earth in which you live on. So the sailor felt rejected and dejected and walked back to his cabin. The next day, he went to listen to the professor speak again. And after the talk, the professor came back to the sailor and said, Tell me, have you studied oceanology? He says, no, sir, what is oceanology? He says, it's a study of the ocean. You have your living on the ocean. How can you not know anything about the ocean? You don't know anything about the earth. You don't know anything about the ocean. You've wasted two quarters of your life. Dejected, the sailor goes back to his room. The third day, the, say, the professor asked him, as he had studied meteorology. He says, no, sir, what's that? This is the study of weather, rain. And he says, no, sir, I'm illiterate. I haven't studied anything. I learned sailing from my father. So he says, well, you don't know anything about the earth you live on. You don't know anything about the ocean you sail on, and you don't know anything about the weather. You've wasted three-quarter of your life. On the fourth day, this time it was the sailor's turn. So the sailor came running into the professor's office and said, Professor, Professor, have you studied swimology? He says, what swimology? He says, sir, do you know how to swim? The professor says, no, I don't know how to swim. So the sailor goes, well, sorry, Professor, but you've wasted all of your life. The ship is sinking, and those of us who know how to swim can swim to shore, which is about a kilometer away. Those who don't know how to swim will drown. So sorry, Professor, you've lost all of your life. And this is just a bit of a story about we can study whatever ologies we want, but if we don't know how to live, if we don't know what it means to be human, if we don't know how to live in this body of mine, I can study whatever ology I want. 
but it's wasted because I'm not living my authentic life. I'm not living my full humanness. And likewise, we can read all the books we want about swimming. We can watch all the programs. We can watch professional swimmers. I can even buy swimming costumes and go stand by the beach or the pool. But until I don't put my head in the water, I'm not doing swimmology. And that's how we study a lot of things or get interested in a lot of things. I like the outfits, I like this, I like that, but I'm not going to do the real effort of doing the work. So swimmology for me is the study of life, study of being a human being, living fully in this body. Babies are born with this knowledge. No other creature needs to learn swimmology because no other creature lives with the psychological distress and mental separation that us humans do. No other creature questions its right to be as it is. This is both our blessing and our curse. It's our blessing because we're the only creature who can come back home and know that space for the first time. But it's our curse because many of us don't even know that we lost or that there's an idea of home or where home is or how to get back home. Meditation or mindfulness is one form of swimmology. Through the practice of mindfulness, we learn the nature of our minds and we learn how we can control our minds for our benefit and for those of others. We can learn how to bring peace, happiness and well-being into our lives to live more fully and authentically. The loving-kindness practice of mindfulness is another form of somology. Through the loving-kindness practice, we connect with our hearts and understand the nature of my heart, desires, and from there learn how to bring peace, wellness and happiness into my life and into the lives of others. Service, as long as it's not ego-driven, is another form of somology. And so is dharma. Until recently, I thought that dharma meant living, living a right life in terms of spiritual life and honoring the laws of nature. In his book, Jay Chetty talks about dharma and he takes it a bit further. He refers to dharma as us living and doing the job that we were meant to be doing. He defines dharma as the meeting point of our passion our expertise, and doing something that is of benefit to others. I like this definition because it opens up the dharmic practice to all people, doing whatever you do for the benefit of others. Could be a hairdresser, computer programmer, teacher, rubbish collector, artist. Whatever your passion is, that could be your dharma because it benefits other people. Some people like me were lucky to fall into what we love doing, or some people knew what they wanted to do from a young age. I accidentally chose psychology because I needed a major, and psychology just sounded like fun, so I thought, okay, why not? I'll do that. And from the first year, I was hooked. I absolutely loved psychology. The same with mindfulness. I fell into it. I was encouraged to go on a retreat and because I had so much annual leave that I didn't know what to do with it, I figured, well, okay, might as well use 10 days and go on this retreat. 
and it was a life changing retreat so i just fell into it and loved it my form of dharma is sharing my skills and knowledge in psychology and mindfulness for the benefit of others and i make a good living from it living a dharmic life doesn't mean that i have to live in poverty or with minimalism if you're not living your life whose life are you living is it the life that your parents society your community chose for you from young we program we are programmed into wanting certain types of jobs or professions or maybe not working and being on the dole we generally follow what we grew up with based on our lack or access to opportunities and a desire to please or follow in others footsteps maybe your life choices are based on fear or from previous trauma either personal or collective or maybe this is a type of work or lifestyle that is all you know and you feel you have no choice in the matter you're just doing the one thing you know how to do or the one thing you've been told you can do we might admire celebra- celebrities or sports people because their lives look so glamorous they have all the sparkle from our point of view they have no needs everything they ever wanted they can have we fail to see that money fame or success does not bring peace happiness and well-being we just see the glitz and the glamour and go ooh that's what i want but many of us are not willing or able to do the work necessary to get there we feel out when the going gets tough or we don't even start because i can't play that well i can't do that that well so why even bother trying even if we were to work hard and achieve this goal is this your life or are you making your life a copy of someone else's life and trying to mold yourself to fit into their mold into their model this is what studying all the different types of allergies in the world is we study and we find out about something trying to make it my passion trying to make it mine trying to figure out if this is me but no matter what you study it might not be you because you're starting at the wrong place you're not starting with you starting with you is asking yourself who am i what do i love what's my passion and this is where mindfulness is handy we can't figure out who i am when my mind is so full of what others want me to be or what i'm told i want or need like my last talk we are so programmed to be a certain way from a young age that we need to sit and decipher my truth from the noise in my head when we start practicing mindfulness it's difficult because the mind keeps wandering away and i keep feeling like i'm going crazy doing nothing is the hardest thing in the world 
Because when I stop doing stuff, that's when my emotions can catch up with me. And I don't like to feel my emotions. Or when I stop doing, then I have awareness into how destructive my behavior has been. And who wants that insight? Better to just keep going until I die. No insight, no reflection, no emotions. There's nothing wrong with living a robotic life. Living life on automatic pilot and being absent in your own life. We only get into this state as a form of psychological protection. And protection at the time of injury is completely valid and necessary. Protection years later is harmful. This is like living in a lovely, pristine palace, but confining yourself to one dark, dank room. That's why the first step in mindfulness is generally grounding. Like with electricity, it needs to be grounded for it to be useful and not dangerous. Same with us. Start with grounding. Grounding is coming back to your body safely. Feeling your feet connected to the ground. Feeling Mother Nature supporting and holding you through your feet. In mindfulness, grounding is connecting to your breath. Or noticing how your body feels as you sit in meditation. What does your bum feel like on the chair or the cushion? What does your body feel like as you sit upright? These are called anchor points. And it's important to establish anchor points so that when you face difficulties that come up in your meditation, you have an anchor point to ground you so that you feel safe and stable. Touch is very grounding as well. This is how we soothe and comfort babies. We touch and assure her that we are here, that she is safe. We rock her because gentle movement is soothing to our fight, flight or freeze brain. And that's why some people find cleaning to be relaxing. It's the repetitive movements that help ground us, that help keep us safe. Grounding is about slowly coming back into your body. Slowly feeling safe to feel your emotions again, to feel embodied, to feel what it feels like to live in this body again. Starting where you are and starting with what you're comfortable with. This is what our parents or caregivers did to us when we were babies. They touched us and introduced us to our bodies to help us to feel at home in our bodies. Once we feel safe coming back into our bodies, it's now learning to differentiate between my voice in my mind and that of others. Then it is about learning how to differentiate between the noise in my head and the truth of me. One of my gifts from a retreat was learning to differentiate between my panic no and my real no. Once I learned this, When I said no from a panic state, I knew that I had to say yes. Because the panic no 
was keeping me in that dark tank, tank room in the palace of my life. It was scared to explore or go outside of its comfort zone. This awareness, this process, this prodding has to be a very gentle process of increasing awareness. Asking questions of yourself with compassion and curiosity. Not interrogating or demanding answers from myself. A gentle curiosity about my life and my inner and my outer world. I get an idea of who I am. I question the reason I do certain things. I question my beliefs, my taken-for-granted ideas, and see if they are from me or were they added to in my life's journey so far. Are they what I want to keep holding on to or is it something I'm ready to let go of? This process of sifting the chaff from the grain, I get to my core. I get to an understanding of who I am and what my preferences are. I start to become a friend with myself and to feel safe and comfortable in a home inside of myself. Then I can start looking for my passions. Then I can start going, what makes me feel alive? What are my skills? What comes a bit easier to me than to other people? What are my natural talents? Or maybe what challenges do I do or put myself through that actually make me feel alive and vibrant? This is when I start getting to know my heart, my passion, my driving force, and see where my skills and talents meet. By putting my skills and talent together, I can start to see what can I do for the benefit of others. How can I use these skills and talents to make the world a better place? I start figuring out what is my superpower. What was I born to do? Why was I born in this time, in this community, in this space? What was my purpose? And this is how I start finding out what my purpose is. Part of this exploration might also be to look deeply into why I want certain things. If I want that big house and expensive car, what is the driving energy behind that? Generally, that might be a sense of lack in myself. Because I go, well, if I had the house and the car, then I'd be respected. Then I'd feel okay. Then I'd feel worthy. Nothing out of, outside of you can give you this sense of worth, of feeling good enough, of being accepted. Only you can give that to yourself. And that all comes from within. So it's looking at our goals, looking at what I want from life. And is that because of a fear position? Is that from a position of lack? Or is it coming from a position of love and service? Of dedication? And if it's coming from a position of lack, it's bringing awareness to the present moment. 
How do I bring in a sense of worth to myself in this moment, today? How do I feel okay about me as I am in my body now? Because it's understanding that nothing outside of me is going to give me that. So how do I bring it in? And for me, this is where the loving-kindness practice of mindfulness comes in really handy. Because through the loving-kindness practice, I heal my past wounds that cause these rifts in my psyche. I become my friend. I tell myself that I am worthy enough. And I prove it to myself that I am worthy enough. And then it's exploring a bit more. What are my passions? What's my driving energy? And slowly, this helps us come to our truth. What do I want to do? What is me? Who is me? Thank you for listening to today's show. I will be having, in April, I will be having um, online Zoom session for the first three Saturdays in April. So if you'd like to get the free link for that course, please contact me um, at Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Um, free three-part journey. The first week we'll be looking at the nature of the mind, I mean, nature of stress. The second week, the nature of the mind. And the third week, the nature of the heart. So please join me on the Zoom session. Uh, you can find all my details on my website, which is alivepsych.co.nz. Or find me on Facebook, which is Alive Psychology. And the wellness journey is advertised on both as well. Thank you for listening and enjoy swimology. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.